This one's kind of a soft one. Whoops, he's putting the, what you doing? Making me nervous. Um, so I got a little allergy, but it goes right along with what we've been doing. Uh, we're nowhere without Christ. Well, we are. We're in hell. But we don't want to go there. So in Christ, I, he, you made me cry. In Christ alone, our hope is found. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, spurned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world in darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry and final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Um, so, yeah, you know, obviously we're cousins, you can tell we got the looks. We don't got the singing gene, but we got the looks gene. And um, let me tell you, so, what, it's really, it's really awesome how God works, because everything that he did just really just kind of threw that ball up to be able to just let the Lord just hit this one out there, because... Um, Man, God is doing something right now in this age. And right now, this is a Kairos time for such a time as this time. And all of you are in here together for such a time as this. 
You're not just some people in this little bitty town sitting in this old church, just sitting here waiting for something to happen and go home and be like, Ooh, I got filled on the word of God today. I'm good for the week. No, God is about to radically do something in your brain, in your heart that is going to change you from this moment forward. That's going to bring his kingdom right now on earth. He said, my kingdom is at hand, right? So, amen. We're going to start seeing that more and more. And part of that is this whole thing. Because 200 years ago, we couldn't have been family. But today, I can tell you, this is my cousin. And there's no shame. It's pride in me to say, Eric is my cousin. And I'm so grateful for it. So, um, what the Lord really wants to talk about today is about restoration and reconciliation. See, he tells us that he gives us a ministry of reconciliation. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I do that a lot. I probably should have put the ADHD patch on before we started, but, but I didn't. So let's just start with prayer. How about that? God, thank you, Father. Thank you for, for my cousin Eric, God, and the word that you've put in him. Father, the DNA of Jesus that it, it just rises up in all the other DNA. Father, no, everything has to bow to the name of Jesus. And God, I just thank you for this church, for this community, for these people, Father, for the heartbeat that you've put in there. In them, God, that it would be with your heart, Father. And that this community would be changed through your love, Father. And the ministry of reconciliation that you've given us. And God, we praise you. And let every word that comes forth from my mouth, God, be pleasing to your heart. And I praise you for it in Jesus' name. Alright, so I don't know if you brought your Bible, but if you did, pull it out. We're going to flip through it quite a bit. Uh, If you didn't, that's okay. There's probably one on your phone. Um, But I want to start in the book of Joel. Alright, so in Joel, now I can't even find it. There it was. I should probably just use my... It's real small. Okay, in Joel 2... Now, all throughout the scripture, it doesn't matter what book you're in, you can find a story of restoration. It's just all about that. God is a God of restoration. And we know this, I mean, just the simplest form, right? We were sinners, yet when we were sinners, He died on the cross so that we could be reconciled to Him. But that's not the only story. There's so many stories and so many scriptures about reconciliation and restoration. But I want to start with this because I I feel like maybe there's somebody in here who's downcast. Maybe you're looking for something. Maybe you've been like... Man, my whole life has been ripped off. People stole from me. The devil. Let me tell you, ain't people stealing from you. It's the devil. John 10.10 comes and he says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But then the red letters say, but I, says Jesus, have come to give you life and life more abundantly. So I want to encourage you today. If you you feel like you've been ripped off, God is telling you today, look, I am the one who comes to restore you and give you life abundantly. So even in the Old Testament in Joel 2, 25 and 26... It says, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Now, I've got to tell this story real quick. I didn't mean to, but you know what? That's just kind of how God works. My daddy was a mean old man. And for 47 years, he was a mean old man. But at 47, I was 47. He was 88, I guess. He fell and broke his arm. And they called me. He was in El Paso. And they called me and they said, which nursing home do you want your dad to go to? And I was like, well, I don't know, one on the west side. And they said, why the west side? I said, that's where his friends are. They said, he doesn't even have any friends. It took us three days to find you. I'll tell you, he's a mean old man, right? So the Lord said, go and get him. And I'm like, all right, Lord. Well, in those three years, the Lord restored to me what the enemy had stolen from me for 47 years. I had zero good memories of my father at 47 years old because he had gone back to El Paso after my mother died in about, I don't know, like 2001. So this was 2019. So for 19 years, I was just like, he's, you know, he's over there. I don't care what he's doing, whatever. I mean, like I reached out to him because the Lord told me to love him and I had to work through all this forgiveness. But I went back and got him and I was a little reluctant about that. And some of you, you know, you have situations like that. But in those three years, the Lord gave me back what the enemy had stolen from me in 47. 
I have nothing but great memories of my father now. And like just sitting there watching TV with him and he couldn't open his drink. So he'd hand it to me to open it. And just this tenderness. I can't believe what the Lord did. But I'm telling you, whatever the enemy has stolen from you, God can restore it to you like that. So I restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. I'm here today to tell you that whatever has been taken from you, God is going to restore to you. Even when we look back 200 years ago, what the enemy tried to steal from the Clements family, God has restored to him. Eric is a pastor in this church. He has a flock. Whatever the enemy said is a lie. God is restoring everything that has been taken. Amen. All right, so let's go now to 1 Corinthians 12.12. That's the New Testament. Unity and diversity in one body. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized in one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And I'm going to skip down a little bit to um, to 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor. For our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Church, I'm telling you, there's a time when we don't get to say, we people, those people, those people. He is bringing together his body. Okay, and I'm not talking just about color or ethnicity, but I'm talking about even the least of these. And I'll get to that here in a minute. That's really the the point of what I'm going to talk about today. But I do want to tell you a little bit about the story that Eric about Eric and the church. Okay, because it's important to know this and how God began to restore things. And this is our story. So about in 2015, I guess, let me even back up. Jackie and Joy, they're my cousins, but I really didn't know them for most of my life. Um, Quite frankly, my mom married a Mexican man, and so the white part of our family was kind of like, hmm, because that was the 60s, right? Now, I'm not saying that they didn't love us, but, you know, there was, I remember going to a Wyndham reunion one time, and it was like, there's that little half-breed over there, okay? So, you know, but oh, pat you on the head and whatever. No offense, family. I love y'all. But it wasn't you. It wasn't you. Calm down. It wasn't you. Okay. No, it wasn't them. But I really didn't know them for most of my life. But Joy and my mom grew up together. They're about the same age. They went to Lubbock together. And they they both went to party in El Paso. And they both married Mexican men subsequently. Um, so Joy, Joy, she and I were talking about that this, this morning, that her grandfather, her grandmother, was kind of like trying to talk her out of marrying Ernie, the Mexican man. Okay. So anyway, long story short, about 2015, 20, no, it's not true. It was 2010 or so. She was having a conference at her church, and she called me because I had written a book, and it's a bilingual book. And she said, hey, I'm down here on the border in Laredo. Do you want to come to this conference? Uh, I know you have a bilingual book. Or Actually, she said, will you send your book down here and I'll try to sell it. I was like, yeah, no. And the Lord told me, go. So I was like, okay. So I told my husband, I said, listen, if they tell us to stay with them, we're going to do that. And he's normally like, no, we'll stay in a hotel. 
and all that kind of stuff. But she said, y'all can stay with us. And he said, okay. And I was like, that's the Lord. So we went down there and man, God just really blessed us and just really connected us in a way that we hadn't been connected before. And my mom was already passed and Joy said, you know what? I feel like I'm supposed to, to, to take the place of your mom, not take the place of your mom, but like be a mom to you. Because I was a young woman, I was like in my early 30s. And, you know, y'all need your mama, even, even when you're older, right? So, so that connection began. When about 2015, she calls me and she says, hey, I've got a project for you. Jackie wants to go bring a church to her property. Now, y'all get this. You got to get how God works. So they went to this place in Comfort, Texas, Jackie and her neighbors, and they got locked out of the house. And the, the hand, the, the, the farmhand was like, why'd y'all get locked out of the house? And they told her, well, Jackie wants a church on her property. And he goes, I know where they're giving one away. Down here in Birds, Texas, Brownwood County. Isn't that funny? Anyway, so Jackie tells Joy and they decide they're going to go look at it. So Jackie heads on down to Birds. Joy's over on the computer because she's the genealogist. And she, while, while Jackie's driving to Birds, Joy's looking and she sees that some of the Wyndhams came to Brown County. And they purchased the land and built the church on this land. Now, this was all unbeknownst to Jackie. So Jackie gets there and she knocks on the door and this lady answers the door. And she's like, I'm here for the church. And she's like, you're kidding me. Like, I just gave that away yesterday. She said, what? She goes, I've been trying to give this church away. She goes, see, it was over there at the cemetery. Now, get this. Hear me. If you've got an eye to see and ear to hear. She said, and they were going to tear it down. And I couldn't stand it, so I paid $2,500 for them to move it across the fence so that it wouldn't be destroyed. She paid a price so something wouldn't be destroyed. Does that sound familiar? Okay. So anyway, so Jackie's like, well, who'd you give it to? She's like, oh, well, there was this man that called, and if it falls through, I'll, I'll tell you. So she calls, well, Joy calls her, and she's like, Hey, guess what, Jackie? That's the family church. That's the Wyndham church. It was built on Wyndham land with Wyndham money. And she's like, well, they gave it away. She goes, what do you mean? She goes, they gave it away. I don't know. She said she gave it to someone. And Jackie's like, oh, man. And Joy's like, oh, man. And they start driving home. And Jackie begins to think, you know what? Maybe, maybe God, you gave it to us somehow. Maybe you did. So she gets all the way back home and she tells the lady and that went with her the first time to the other church. The lady's like, oh, that's terrible. And then the field hand was there and he's like, yeah, they gave it to me. I got it for you. <laughs> so it's like, what? Right? So anyway, so we go to it and it's at, at the Wyndham Cemetery in Birds, Texas. And it's all dilapidated. I mean, it's leaning. Windows are busted out. We walk in it, it's painted gray and red and yellow. I mean, I think there's probably Mexicans in it truly because the colors, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at. There was, um, there was, I say that because I'm Mexican, don't be offended, y'all. Uh, there was like trash in it, there was a mattress, there was all kinds of stuff. Just, it looked like somebody had been trying to live in it and they built some stuff, you know, like it's kind of like this, and they built a wall here and they were trying to build bathrooms and. It, it was just horrible. And I walked in and I stepped in it. And the Lord just really spoke to me. He said, he said, see, this is how you are. You're far from home, filled with junk that don't belong in here, and just broken and dilapidated. He said, but it is my heart to bring you home and restore you for the purpose with which you were meant. And he said to me, I'm going to use this to begin to restore the family. Okay, so six years it took us to move that church over there. They had to cut the top off of it. And I wish I had before and after pictures. Eric, I should have sent some. I'll send them to you. You can show your congregation. But the before pictures, it's leaning. It's busted. It's broke. The inside's all different colors. But the new church, well, it's not new, right? But we restored it. Jackie put it on a foundation. It is straight. She had windows put in it that were built for the time period. Um... It's all redone and it is beautiful and it is being used now for, you know, some different things like Easter and things like that, you know. Uh, but, but Eric, anytime you want to come, bring them all down. We'll preach. We'll do it. Yeah, y'all come. 
But it's, it's the purpose of it right now really is what we're seeing is that God is restoring the family. And so, like, I was restored to them, and then I was restored to the Wyndham side of my family, right? And then here comes along Eric. Now we're restored to the Clemens side of the family. And God is saying, listen, family isn't what you think it is. Family is what I think it is. And I'm going to restore you to what that looks like. Okay? And so today, he's going to bend your mind a little bit, because what you think is family and what what God says is family are two different things. So in Joel 2.25, God's going to restore everything the devil's stolen from you. In Psalm 23.3, he says he restores your soul. In Deuteronomy 33, let's go over here because I want to read this. Another good restoration. Deuteronomy's in the beginning. <clears throat> right after Numbers, I think. Deuteronomy 33. He says, the Lord God, the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you were driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the, lo- and the heart of your descendants. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Uh, that's his promise. And I want you to think about that scripture. In fact, it's, it's, it's three times in the scripture. We can look at it in a couple of different pictures. Scriptures. It's in... Um, The short one, where did I write it down? Man, I took a lot of notes. What am I doing here? Uh, Luke 10, 27. So it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. He says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and, your, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor as yourself. That is where we are today, church. Because we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, and I'm listening to you talking about what you're doing and you're sharing and everything. Like, this is where the direction of the church is going, y'all. We are to love your neighbor as yourself. And you say, well, what does that mean to love him as myself? Well, it means that you, how do you love yourself? Right? How do you love yourself? You know yourself. You explore yourself. You come into a deeper knowledge of God. And I want to tell you, Ed and I have been members of a lot of different uh, ministries that really bless people. You know, we were part of a ministry. We had a retreat. They took up. uh, It was really great. Actually, what they did is they started out and they took um, prayer requests, prayer needs. Okay. And then at some point in the service, they took up an offering. And then they used that offering to meet the needs of the people's prayer requests. So, for example, if you said, Lord, I need the Lord to uh, give me the money to pay my light bill. Or I need a new ride. Or I don't have groceries in the cupboard. These are what people did. took up that request, believing God for it. And then at the end, they took that offering. They said, you need groceries. Here you go. You need a car. Here you go. You need your light bill paid. Here you go. Um, so we've been parts of ministries that bless people excessively. Another ministry that gives away millions of pounds of food every year. But what God is saying is even deeper than that. Because you know what? That is loving our neighbor. That's supplying their needs. But it's not the same as loving them. And most recently, um, let me, I'll come to that here in just a second. Okay, let's go to 1 John 4.20. 
First John is after the uh, epistles. A little bit before Revelation. First John 4.20. I was a high school principal, so that kind of is funny to me. I'm sorry. But anyway, if, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him. And he who loves God must love his brother also. That's a big one, y'all. 2 Corinthians 5.16 I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you just so you guys have some legs where we can set the, the table on. 2 Corinthians 5.16 Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's important. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. In other words, we knew Christ in the flesh, but now we know the spirit side of Christ, right? The risen side of Christ. It's not just the man they walk, it's the the spiritual side of Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and had given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So I'm going to tell you all another story because that's... That's what God tells me to tell stories. We li- we get to live stories. You know, I remember as probably as a teenager, I'd read the Bible and I'm like, how come there's no more stories like that, God? And he's like, well, don't I call you to be a testament to your testimony? And I was like, well, yeah. He's like, what is what does a testimony mean? Well, that's that somebody who sits up in the witness stand and bears witness to what God has done. Right. A test, if I get your testimony in court, well, what happened? Well, that man drove by in a yellow car and then this and that happened. Right? That's what a testimony is. So when we give a testimony of what the Lord has done in our life, that's telling something factual. In the same way, it says in, in, in the scripture, how do we overcome? We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Right? And so there's another scripture, I think it's in Romans 4, 17, that we are to speak things that are not as though they were, right? You come home, your husband's drunk, and you go, you ain't nothing but a drunk. That's right, because you speak in it. In James, it tells us that the power of life and death is in the tongue, right? In the power of the tongue lies life and death. So you come home, you're just an old drunk, you ain't going to count mouth for nothing, then that's exactly what's going to happen. Because the blood of the Lamb has been shed, but you're a believer and that's the word of your testimony. So you're going to align your testimony with the testimony of hell instead of the testimony of heaven of what God did in your life or is doing in your life. So when you see that man, you come home, you say, you are a man of God. He's going to be like, what? (laughs) You are a man of God. You are the priest of this home. You are, and you speak life, right? You speak life. That will change those situations. So now here's the story, okay? So my friend was living in our town. We have a little bit. We live in a little bit town called Morton. I don't know how many people are there. There's 400 kids in the high school. Yeah, smaller than early. It's small. There's like 400 kids in our high school. And these friends of mine moved from the Dallas area to Morton because God called them there. It's a long story, but anyway. So now they've got to move to East Texas because her parents are getting old and they got to move. Well, these people, every, every weekend they would make uh, like a meal after church. And they made a meal for themselves. There was two of them. And they had these neighbors who were crackheads. And they would go over there and they, would, they wouldn't say, here's our leftovers. They made enough meal and they would eat. And then they'd go over there and they'd take the meal to them. And, um, and Rena, you're, making, you're being judgy. They're crackheads. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because... I, at the time, I was the elementary school principal, and I had to go over there and get the kids 
because the kids weren't coming to school and they were like three and four and they weren't coming to school and they were high and they were, you know, then there was a, they had, the, the son took them hostage and just all kinds of crazy stuff. There's a lot of drugs in this town, a lot of drugs in this town. So anyway, so my friend Denise began to go over there and she would start feeding them. Well, she was moving and she had her moving van out and I was like, all right, I'll see you later. And, uh, and I was like, what about your crackheads? And man, she just began to weep like ugly cry, ugly cry. And she goes, don't call them that. And, I, and, and the Lord convicted me, you know. Here I am, I'm standing here preaching on Sunday, calling people crackheads. What is wrong with you? That is the least of these, right? The part that we should honor more. And I was like, okay, all right. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I said, you want me to take care of them? And she just ugly cried. Because you know what? They don't have family. It's two older people. He sells drugs. There's some prostitution going on in and out of his shed. And that's how they take care of themselves. And that's a number of people in this community. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'll do it. So a friend of mine and I, we had been, we kind of run around together as this ministry. We're, the church is in love it, but there's a bunch of us that live in this community. And we've been talking about how we're going to go out and love on the people. Because unfortunately in that community, the churches, all 16 of them, are, are kind of cliquish, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, so anyway, you know, you will have an outreach, but you can only come in so far and don't play basketball. I mean, I know this is a gym, but we don't really want the kids to play in here um, kind of thing. So I called my friend up and I was like, hey, here's our opportunity. I've got this family that we need to go start taking care of. And the Lord convicted me. He said, you're not just going to go feed them. He said, you're going to love them. And he said, you're going to introduce yourself to them as their family. And I was like, okay. So took my friends. We went over there. We fed them. Man, the house, y'all, it, there was a funky smell and it was dirty and um, they were dirty and, you know, but it's where they're at. And God tells us to love them where they're at because we were all there. We all had a stank on us, whether it was truly a stank or not. We're going to the clubs on Friday night and everything. We think we smell fine, but the Lord's like, "Mm -mm, that's not the aroma I want for you. I need to wash you in my blood so you'll smell right. And so even though I can sit here, I can tell you that I walked in there and the one that stank was not them. The one that stank was me because my heart wasn't right. So I said, all right, Lord. So we began to do that. We began to go over there. And let me tell y'all, I mean, just y'all, it's the presence of the Lord because when I got that revelation, I'm a quick learner. When I got that revelation, I repented. I was like, I'm sorry, Lord. I said, this is my family. I'm going to love them just like they're my parents because their kids are out on crack somewhere. They don't have kids that are going to come and take care of them. So we start going over there. We're feeding them. The next time we came over, their house was a little bit cleaner. Miss Emma's hair was combed. The next time we came over, their house was a little bit cleaner. Her leg stopped swelling so much. She started having hope that she's going to be able to move the left side of her body. The next time we came over, her daughter was there. She was tweaking. But you know what? We loved her and fed her anyway. And that woman, the daughter, she was the one that when I had to come before as a principal and take, tell her, look, I'm going to have to call CPS. She hid her face from me. And I sat there that day, y'all, and I ministered to her that there's no shame. That God's going to return everything that the locust has stolen. Because that is who he says he is. And so then they say to us, will you go take a dish and love on my mama? So we're like, okay. So we go across town and we go love on their mama. Now their mama or his mama, she's kind of got dementia. But there's four other guys that live there that I don't know why they live there. But you know what? It's an opportunity to love them. And we went from two to where at? 27, 27 people in that community that God has said, these are the people that I want you to love. And I tell my boss, I'm an assistant superintendent now. And I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you hear that the assistant superintendent is coming out of a crack house, it is true. It's the truth. And I'm telling you, there's, there's a couple that we go into y'all. And I'm not going to lie. Like there's probably somebody sitting back there with a gun, making sure that we're not the law. Because you got people coming in and out, they're buckling their pants, they're, you know, putting things in their side, they're, there's stuff in the ashtray. 
But none of that is, that's not what we're looking at. Okay? We're looking at the person and we see what God has deposited in there. There's this one boy, the first day we went to this one, they call it, it's a flop house. It's probably the biggest one that we go to because there's people just in and out of there all the time. People coming from New Mexico and they're like, oh, I'm just here for a minute. I'm, I, I work in New Mexico. You know, I work here. I live in New Mexico because we're right on the border of New Mexico. Drugs are legal. Well, not all drugs, but like marijuana is legal there. So people run it back and forth across the border and stuff. And so um, anyway, and, and it just doesn't even occur to me to think that my life is in danger. Unless I step back and go, you know what? My life could be in danger. But my, it doesn't even occur to me to think that because God has said, I want you to go in there and I want you to love them. And love overcomes all. And as we begin praying for these guys, and here's the thing about it. It's not, hey, here I'm delivering a tray. Put a selfie. Look what we're doing on Facebook. And in fact, I was telling somebody, yeah, our Wednesday night ministry. And the Lord convicted me and he said, this is not your ministry. He said, this is my command to you. You are just doing what I've told you to do. You are finally loving your neighbor as yourself. You're going to eat tonight? Don't you think they should? You're going to be prayed over today? Don't you think they should? Somebody going to speak hope in your life? Don't you think they should get that too? And I was like, yeah, right on. And so when I began to pray for some of these guys, there's a young guy named Jeremy. And man, he's like, he was just, I don't know, like they're all locked up in rooms when we get there. But he was the one out that day to receive the, because we take them in like clamshells, like clams of food. And we're like, we'll sit and eat with you if you want. You know, if you don't want us here, we'll leave whatever you want. Whatever you need, we're here. And the Lord's begun to tell me that there's a time coming where we're going to wash their feet. Because God wants each and every one of you and them To know that you have value. And you may have been told your whole life that you don't have value because of one reason or another. You know, and I know in the Mexican culture, this is how it goes. It goes like this. If you don't get up and go to school, you will be nothing but a a whore in the streets and broke, busted, whatever. Okay, but I never heard that if you don't, I just heard you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that. And for whatever reason, I don't know. That's just all I ever heard. So we, we have been, things have been spoken over us, y'all. And I, I didn't even mean to go here, but there's a whole thing. We talked about the power of life and death is in the tongue. And there's, there's agreeing with what God says and agreeing with what the enemy says. And, and I know y'all are praying church. I remember one time I was praying. I was like, Lord, cancel all the assignments of the enemy. Y'all heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay? You've heard that. So I sat there one day and I was thinking, wait a minute. If Satan can't create anything. Right? Satan can't create anything. Eric was preaching earlier that, you know, there's God's kingdom and then there's the counterfeit. All he can do is take what God has created and counterfeit it. Right? That's all he can do. God creates sex for man and woman, marriage. And Satan counterfeits it and makes it pornography and fornication and all those things, right? God creates church. Man takes it and makes it religion to beat you over the head and make you feel bad about things, right? So in this case too, well, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> Where God was going with that? He, Satan can only counterfeit, right? So how do these assignments then get created? If he can't create, if Satan has no power to create, where do these assignments come from? I'm going to tell you where they come from, saints. Man, why would you cut me off? You, you need to have a wreck because of the way you drive. Where would that come from? Us. We create those assignments. Well, you know, there's diabetes in our bloodline. I guess you're going to get it too. Ooh, yeah. We create those assignments. And Satan says, thank you. Now minions go and release the diabetes to that bloodline. 
Because see, when the cross came, it separated us from that bloodline. We can live on this side of the cross in the blessing of God. Or we can live on that side of the cross in the curse. And our mind, we got to get right. Who are we going to agree with? Who are we going to agree with? And I won't go into it, but in 2009, he got really sick. He was in the hospital. He was dying. The doctors came in. They said, he's going to die. And I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And they said, what? I said, nothing. <laughs> they kept telling me what was wrong with him. I said, don't come in here and speak hell over him. And they're like, ma'am, don't you want to know the facts? I said, I know the facts. I said, but I also know the truth. And he has a name and it's Jesus. Amen. And I'm going to agree with the word of the God because it says, the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. So what's the word of my testimony? That he's healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. That he'll live and not die and proclaim the works of God. With long life will I satisfy him that he will know my salvation. See, so what we say matters. So when I call them crackheads, what am I doing? I'm creating an assignment for the enemy to say, thank you. We'll just keep them in bondage because you, woman of God, are the one that prophesied that into the, into the, the air. And the prince of the air can take that assignment and go wrap them up in that bondage. And so, you know what? I had to repent. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. So now it's like, hello, healed and delivered ones. Amen. <laughs> And you know what? They think I'm crazy, but I don't care. Because you know what? It was a crazy person when their friend was lame. They said, let's go up on the roof and cut a hole and lower him down. Because the lines are too long and we can't reach Jesus. But if we go up on the roof and cut a hole in this roof, those people are going to be mad. It don't matter. Hopefully there's insurance back in Jerusalem. We're going to cut a hole. We're going to lower our friend down. He's like, whoa, what's happening here? You know what? Y'all's crazy faith has healed your friend. Okay. So, y'all, we got to be those crazy faith friends. We got to understand that those are our brothers and sisters in bondage. I can't just walk by these houses. And it's, I'm not, I'm not telling. There is no lie about, right now, that, like I said, that community has 400 kids in high school. And there are 27 people that were in bondage, hallelujah, that are going to be free, hallelujah. 27, and we haven't even reached them all. We haven't even reached them all. And you know what? The churches don't care about them. No offense. But the churches in that community, they don't care about them. They're sitting here waiting. Well, when those crackheads walk through that door, then we'll tell them about Jesus. Y'all, Jesus talks about the lost sheep. He said in what scripture was it? The one about leaving the 99... And going after the one. It's in, I think it's in Luke, maybe. I think it's Luke 15. I'm probably lying to you. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. See, they drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. The churches in my community are filled with just people. All, I mean, every Sunday, <laughs> every Sunday they sing come as you are and all the same people that have been saved since 1960 are still sitting there. Ain't nobody going to come because they came in 1972, 1983, 1989. And I make light of that, but the truth of the matter is, y'all, is that there's a lost and hurting and dying world out there of our brothers and sisters. That's who they are. 
And how can we claim to love God if we hate our brother? And it's easy to say, well, you know what? They made those decisions and that's what has them there. Yeah, all of us did too. But it was one decision that changed all of that. It was the decision to say, you know what? I'm done with this. Just two stories over is the story of the prodigal lost son. Where he's out there with the pigs sitting there looking at that going, that looks delicious. I think I'm going to eat some of that. And he's like, wait a minute. Man, my father, I'm going to go back and just be a servant to him because I don't need to be living like this. We all come to the end of ourselves, hopefully. But some of us never know that we can't come to the end of ourselves because nobody tells us who we are. And it's our job, church, to go out there and say, you are the redeemed of the Lord. You matter. Go back to Jeremy. When I'm praying for Jeremy, I'm praying about, I'm just praying over him. I asked him, what do you want me to pray about? And I don't even remember what he said, my family, something. So I just begin to pray about him, pray for him. And the Lord says, this boy knows scripture. And I look at him, I said, Jeremy, do you, I, I said, I have a picture of like a grandmother or an aunt that would hold you as a child and just pray for you. He goes, yeah, he goes, I know scripture. But somewhere along the lines, the world told him, it don't matter, this, what's in this book is irrelevant. You've got to make a living for yourself. And you know what? That's true. But that brings us to the, the, the parable in between the one of the prodigal son and the one of the lost sheep. And that's this one. I'm going to read it to you. It's real short. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And last night I was looking at the scripture and the Lord took me down this rabbit hole. But I'm going to share this rabbit hole with you because here we are. <laughs> in ancient cultures, the women, went, the, the husband would give the woman a headdress that had coins on it. The ten coins. Okay. And it was, they were made of silver. So this woman... Who has these ten coins on her headdress. Lost it in her house. Now her husband's going to come home and be like. What happened to that coin? Up. I don't know. What were you doing that was so vigorous. That caused you to lose that coin? Uh, I don't know. Where would you lose it? I don't know. Somewhere in here. But that was. The, the bride price, right? That was their savings. And it could cause major problems between her and her husband if she's missing this one coin. So she has this revelation that, whoa, I better find this coin, y'all. So she gets a lamp. She lights the lamp. She's looking everywhere, cleaning everywhere, looking for it. And then she's like, oh, I found it. My marriage is saved. I don't have to tell my husband, you know, that it's lost. What does that even mean? I'm going to give you a little symbolic thing. So again, that represents that. In the scripture, we know that silver represents purification or salvation. You know the story that a refiner knows when the silver is pure when he can see his own image in it. Right? So the silver represents her, her redemption, her salvation. And there's ten of them. Well, let me think. There's ten something else in the Bible. Ten, ten commandments. And the thing about the Ten Commandments is you don't do the Ten Commandments to get to God. But when you're with God, the fullness of those Ten Commandments is fulfilled. That's why he says I'm the fulfillment of the law. What do you mean? Okay, for example, Eric, you need to steal? No? You never tempted? Tempted. Tempted? Yes. Tempted to steal? <laughs> now? Not now. Not now. Yeah. yeah, we were all tempted to steal. Probably did. I probably still have that chapstick I stole in fourth grade. Right, right. But not now. Why not now? Because God is your provider, right? You know who your provider is. And when you understand that, then he's fulfilled that commandment. Does that make sense? It's the fulfillment of our relationship with Christ that fulfills those things. So in that scripture, right, she lights a lamp 
to find these things. What's the lamp? It tells us in Psalms that the word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. And that's the introspectiveness that we have to, when we are losing that place, we have to search the word and let the word search us. We have to be cleansed by the word. We have to understand that God loves us so much that he's not going to leave us the way he found us. And so, friends, I don't know what the community of Brownwood looks like outside. I know that you're doing great things because you're I'm just I've been here five minutes and I've heard about the great things you're doing. And I want to talk to you a moment about legacy out here. There is a historical marker that talks about the legacy that this church had in the community. And I don't know if you've read it or not, but if you haven't, you need to. You are here for such a time as this to create a new legacy or to expand that legacy, I guess we could say. In that legacy, it talks a lot about what this church has done for the Negro community. But you know what, guys? The day is coming where God is calling us as one body. There was a time where we had to be separate. Right? There was a time. Not because of laws or whatever, but for strength and foundation. And you know what? One of, the, one of my favorite things to talk about in the pulpit is Harriet Tubman. Because Harriet Tubman, y'all know who that is? Y'all should know who that is, right? Harriet Tubman, she made it across the Ohio River. And she didn't say, see you suckers later, I'm free. Right? She could have. She could have been like, deuces. Good luck. Follow the stars. That's what I did. But she didn't. She understood that freedom was not just for her. And so she went back risking her life. Literally at one point they beat her head in with a rock. Left her for dead. And she got up and did it again and again and again. Because she realized that freedom wasn't just for her. I'm going to believe that the majority of you in here know Christ as your Lord and Savior. The majority of you in here have tasted freedom. And that freedom, I'm going to tell you, the American church has this revolving door where we say, I'm saved. Well, I'm backslidden. Well, I'm saved. Well, I'm backslidden. Well, I'm saved. Well, I'm backslidden. And you sit there in the doorway the whole time. If you're saved, act like it. Walk out that door and find that person that's in bondage and say, you know what? Just like he said, Peter said this. He said, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I will give unto you. Get up and walk. See, God set you free to set others free. Because it says that he wants none to perish. Not some of them, but none. And so God took his body. He broke it. Which was the division He blessed it, and then he's bringing it back together for this end time, y'all. I don't know how much time we got. Hope not much longer, boy. When I watch the news, I'm like, come on, Jesus. Right? I don't know. You know, we all have an expiration date here on earth. But whether or not we walk that salvation out, not meaning that we have to do things to get to heaven, but meaning that we understand what was done for us. Understand the authority that we walk in. If we belong to Him, we walk in authority. If I'm standing in my garage and Eric walks in there and he just gets in my refrigerator, I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm friends with Michael. Michael's my son. Oh, you're friends? Okay, sure. Help yourself. I'm going to use the bathroom too. Okay, it's down the hall. No question, right? Why? Because he knows my son. If you know the son... You have access to the kingdom. And if you have access to the kingdom, that freedom that gave you that access to the kingdom is not just for you. My husband said it best. He says, you can only take one thing with you when you die. I said, man, you can't take nothing with you when you die. He said, you can take your friends. Right? You can take your friends. You can tell them about the gospel. You can tell them about this Jesus. And you can see them walk in that peace and that freedom. I know for a long time, y'all, I was part of a church that said, 
When you die, you go to the great by and by, you get this inheritance. But then I started thinking about inheritance. Wait a minute. So when I die, I get my mom's inheritance? I'm not the one that dies to get the inheritance. Mom has to die for me to get the inheritance, right? When Jesus died, we got the inheritance. You can walk in that now, y'all. Walk in that now. I love that Eric talks about the authority that we have in Christ. To heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Y'all, all that's for real. It's for real. You talk about that, right? Amen. You talk about it. It's for real. And I'm going to tell you, you will get to see all that if you go to a crack house. Just saying. <laughs> you will. If you walk in there knowing that you have the power and authority. See, in the Old Testament, there was the, the Ark of the Covenant. Y'all know what that is, right? That gold box that had the presence of God. Then when they took it to somewhere, like things would flourish. And Uzziah touched it because it was rolling off a donkey. He went like that, boom, he died. And David's like, get that out of here. Then he takes it to this guy's house. And man, his cows are blooming. His trees are blooming. His cows are multiplying. He's like, why is that guy so blessed? They're like, because the Ark of the Covenant. David's like, bring that back here. So everywhere that the Ark was, things had to change. Because it carried the presence of God. That's Old Testament, y'all. So where is it in the New Testament? You are the ark of the new covenant. You carry the presence of God in you. When you step into a room, it ought to change. Because the presence of God is there. And if you don't know that, that's who you are. Young man, what's your name? Steve. No, that guy back there. Right where you see Steve? The guy in the gray shirt. Mark, are you in school? No. Are you graduated already? You graduated already? Okay. I was going to say, when he walks in the halls of his school, things ought to change. In the presence of God, demons flee, y'all. That's right. That's That's why I'm not afraid to walk into a flop house. Because I know what's in me. I know who's in me. And I know the power that he has. And I know that whatever demon is rising up in this man, because he's addicted or whatever, if, it's, if the Lord tells me, get him, all right. That demon's fixing to go, and you've got to be free. You don't even know what to do with There's a young man, y'all. This will be the last story I tell you. I, keep, I told you I was going to tell much stories. But there's a young man. He was a basketball star. He was on the NBA draft. He went to Georgia Tech straight out of this little high school. And he hurt his ankles. And he came home. And now he's addicted. And he has no hope because his identity was all wrapped up in being a basketball star. But we went over there. We fed him. We loved on him. And I told him, I said, hey, I need you to finish your college and I'm going to give you a teaching job. Now, you might say, that's crazy. You're an assistant superintendent of a school district and you're over there offering a crackhead a teaching job? No, what I'm doing is I'm offering my brother some hope. Because if he has hope to hang on to and it changes his identity away from this was my identity and now I can't walk in that. To you know what? I have an identity in Christ. I have an identity of hope. Our hope is in Christ Jesus He's going to see that, y'all. I have no doubt. And he's going to begin to walk in that. And God is going to set him free. And when that little town sees how that boy has gone from that to what God has called him to do, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. So I want to inspire you today to think about somebody that you can love. To think about somebody that you've walked by and dismissed. That you can say, you know what? I can love them. Truly, these people that started what were the movement that were loving on people in Morton, it was truly their neighbor. It was literally their next door neighbor. You've got a neighbor that you can cut their yard for them. You can water their grass. Heck, you might be the neighbor that somebody needs to love on. I don't know. But I want to encourage you That what you have in you is greater than what's on the outside oppressing these people. And I want to encourage you that God is going to empower you to do that. 
be the difference. Be the, 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 the glue that unifies the living stones. That glue is Christ, right? He says He's the cornerstone and that we're mere living stones. He's rebuilding His church, but it's not a building. It's us. It's a community who loves each other. Let us pray. Father, I just thank You for this opportunity to speak to Your people, God. I ask that You would awaken their spirit, God, and heighten their senses to be able to see who it is that You would have them love on. And God, I thank you that they would love with a genuine love, Father. With your love, God. We don't have enough of our own, and God, ours is tainted anyway. But God, your love is pure. Let us be open to love others the way you first loved us. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody take pictures real quick. Take pictures. Everybody take pictures real quick. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Thank you. Got it? Oh, okay. one more. All right. One more time for the Lord. Listen, we're talking about forgiveness, but before we do that, you know, 17, 18 years ago when God 